Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. Seattle recently set a record that no city welcomes. There have been 70 homicide victims in the city so far this year, which is a new record for the most homicides in a single year. KUOW editor Catherine Smith is here to tell us more about why this is happening. But first, let's get you caught up. The rain and wind that's been inundating the Seattle area won't let up anytime soon. The National Weather Service says local rain totals could reach three inches by tomorrow, thanks to the atmospheric river that's hitting the region. Officials are monitoring for potential landslides and river flooding. In the mountains, where it's been snowing and raining, the risk of avalanche is high. New rules from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration will increase the number of gay men who are able to donate blood. They replace a mid-80s lifetime ban on donations from men who have sex with men created during the AIDS crisis. The revised guidelines based on science have been in place since last spring. They'll include a set of individual risk-based questions issued to every donor, regardless of sexual orientation. Seattle Times reports Bloodworks Northwest will begin using the new guidelines tomorrow. And the University of Washington Huskies are playing in the college football playoff. They're headed to New Orleans to play Texas January 1st. The Seattle Times did some quick research and spoiler alert. If you want to see Heisman Trophy finalist Michael Penix Jr. play in person... It's going to cost you. On Ticketmaster, the cheapest game ticket listed is $524. The cheapest on StubHub is $436. Not to mention the almost $1,000 it's going to cost you to book a round-trip ticket to New Orleans. If you want to save a little money, you can watch that game on ESPN. Just a warning before we get started. We're talking about gun violence in today's episode, including some brief descriptions. The last time Seattle set a new record for homicides within city limits, it was 1994. A lot has changed about the city since then. 200,000 people moved in. It became a hub for the tech industry and turned into one of the most expensive cities in the country. But there are also parallels between then and now that help explain the recent uptick in violent crime. KUOW editor Catherine Smith is here to tell us about the parallels. Kat, Really glad you're here. Thanks so much for taking the time. Hi, Shresh. So let's start by talking about the record itself. What should listeners know about this? Yeah. So as you said, Seattle has set itself a grim new record here, at least 70 homicides in a single year. And there are still a few weeks left in 2023. This record is a figure that I confirmed with the Seattle police, and it's the highest since 1994, when there were 69 homicides in Seattle. The thing that bothers me about numbers like this are how cold and impersonal they can be. Every person on this list has a family, or the very least, you know, they touched other people's lives. No matter what was going on with them at the time of their death, they were still a person who was moving through the world, and now they're gone. And it can be really easy to look at the numbers and to not think about the people behind them. Kat, that's a really important point. These are individual lives we're talking about, and it really is easy to drive by and just think about that number. Right. A few of them stand out to me as I, I pulled the records from the King County Medical Examiner to learn about who some of these people were. 
someone who stands out in particular was a black teenager. He was only 17. He's one of the youngest people on this list. And he was shot in the head at an apartment complex in South Seattle over the summer. Subsequently, his family held a GoFundMe for his funeral arrangements, and they used part of that money to fly one of his siblings out to Seattle for the service. Another victim who stands out was a pregnant woman. This made a lot of headlines at the time of her death. She was sitting in her Tesla at a Belltown intersection when a man fired randomly at her car. She died and her baby later died. And their deaths sparked protests around Seattle when they happened, in part because the woman was so deeply loved in her Korean-American community, and in part also because the shooting took place in broad daylight and it terrified people. And then one more person on the list, one more person who stands out is an older man. He's 68. He was a lot older than most of the other people on the list. And he lived in an apartment building for senior citizens downtown. And he'd been struggling with his health at the time. And reading his medical report, he was probably in a lot of pain Mm. when he died. And he was struggling with drug addiction, too. And his neighbors, even though he was shot multiple times, his neighbors said they never heard the shots. They didn't know anything had happened. And they were very surprised to learn that he was dead. Oh, my gosh. Well... Three examples of many that we could talk about in this city, Cat. You know, the number of people killed is different from another statistic. We often talk about the homicide rate. Mm -hmm. What does that number tell us? Because it's different. Right. This is really important. So when we're comparing today's stats, the last time homicides were this high was 1994, like we said. And when we look at these two different time periods, it's really important to look at the city's population over time. Homicides as a proportion of population are not as high today as they were in 1994. The homicide rate was higher 30 years ago. I pulled U.S. Census records and I looked at how much the Seattle population has changed in that time. And today, Seattle's grown by something like 200,000 people. So you have roughly the same number of homicides in 1994 with fewer people. That's a much higher homicide rate than you have today in 2023. Okay. That's a really important distinction, Kat. Let's talk about how these homicides are happening, because we've seen a lot of gun violence in the news this past year, one in the example you brought up earlier. Yeah. It's guns. It's mostly guns. It's mostly guns. The medical records are just, they're frightening. Mm. Going down the list, counting up the number of gun deaths, it's majority gun related. And I talked to someone from the King County Prosecutor's Office about this. He said that there's, there's way more gun violence going on today than there was in 1994. There's far more illegal weapons on the streets. There are way more bullets being fired at crime scenes. And guns today are more powerful. You know, Kat, sadly, it seems like we would actually have a higher homicide number given the things that you're telling me right now. I know. So trauma surgery has come a long way since 1994. Yeah, emergency room technology has advanced. So people have a greater chance of being saved after a shooting. And what we don't have great metrics for, what I learned doing this story, we don't have great metrics for tracking people who survive a shooting but end up being maimed for life. Oh my gosh, Kat. Right. We don't track that in the way we track homicides. So there are probably a lot of people all over Seattle right now who've been affected by gun violence who don't show up in these reports the way a homicide victim would. And that, for me, is really sobering to think about. When you say that there are people walking around who are impacted by gun violence that we are unaware of, I even think about the family members and the partners of the people who are affected by gun violence being traumatized as well, secondarily, by what they've witnessed and what they're seeing in their family members. That's really telling, Kat. Yeah. So the last time the city broke the record was 1994. What can we talk about there? Can we draw a connection to what was happening in the city back then? Are there any similarities? 
As a matter of fact, there are. Um, yeah, I had heard before starting this project, I had heard that the city had a problem with a lot of gang-related violence back in the 90s. And so I set out to answer two questions. I wanted to know, A, if that was true, and B, why, what was going on. So I called up Brad Holden. He's a local author and a historian. He writes a lot about the history of vice and crime in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. And he told me that in 1994, Seattle was at the tail end of the crack epidemic, and it was in the middle of a heroin epidemic. Mm -hmm. So he said, 1994, streets flooded with heroin. So today, we're in the middle of a fentanyl epidemic. Back in the 90s, Holden told me you used to be able to see heroin needles on the ground, the orange needle tops, and now tinfoil and fentanyl-related paraphernalia. You know, grain of salt here. I talked about this with Holden. Homicides and gun violence are extremely complex. There's never just one reason why something is happening. There's a lot of things that are contributing to the problems we're seeing now. There are socioeconomic factors. There's a lot of things that converge to create a situation like this. But when I talked to Brad Holden, he said it's probably not a coincidence that we're in the middle of another epidemic right now while homicides are maxing out the 1994 record. The crime associated with the illicit drug trade tends to lead to violence. The networks that distribute drugs battle for street control and market supply control and that can spill out into these explosions of violence. So it's not the only cause, but it's certainly one parallel that you can draw between now and 30 years ago. Wow. Wow. That is really, really telling. But, you know, since 94, the number of homicides in the city had actually been on a steady decline. And the low point was 16 homicides in 2016. Obviously, as we have been discussing, things have been rapidly increasing from there. Besides this drug epidemic that we are dealing with, what else has changed? Well, we had a pandemic, and that threw everything out of whack. Violent crime went up everywhere. It's it's hard to know the precise factors that contribute to something like this when it's still going on. And we're, it seems like we're still in the midst of this here in Seattle. Like The issues that converge to make something like this happen are far too complex. If someone tells you that there's one simple reason for why, I'd be very, very skeptical. I did ask the Seattle police why they thought crime in the city was so high. They blamed police staffing. And it's true, the department has been losing more officers, you know, faster than they can replace them in recent years. It's been going on for several years. But was staffing such a big problem back in the 90s when homicides were super high in the city? Is police staffing really the core issue here? It's one issue, certainly. That's certainly what the Seattle police and the mayor want to talk about. If there were more cops on the streets of Seattle, would gun manufacturers suddenly close up shop and people would turn over all of their guns? Would the massive global networks responsible for the manufacture and sale of illicit fentanyl dry up and go away? You know, would everyone suddenly get a living wage and a nice house to live in forever? These are complicated interlocking issues, and there's no easy answer, in my opinion. And I think the comforting thing is to look for an easy fix. Yeah, everything else is a lot harder. And it isn't just homicides the city has been dealing with. Last year marked a 15-year high for all violent crimes like robbery, assault, sexual assault. You know, we have been talking about a lot of social issues, obviously a contributing factor to all of what we're talking about. I think, honestly, I think in time, we're going to be able to look back on this crime spike and we'll be able to see with more clarity that there are probably a whole host of policy and social failures that led to this point. And a lot of economic factors, too. I don't think you can point to just one thing and some of the issues are bigger than Seattle. Yep. And you know, Kat, as a former reporter, when the pandemic hit, when all of this economic trouble starts to roll in, all I can think about is 
how this will impact things like domestic violence, how people's stress levels go up, how Mm -hmm. people have less money, so they become angrier and more desperate. So many of these things, like you said, it's a complex formula that we're dealing with. Yeah. I think also, I think people's preconceived biases inform how to process a confusing moment like the one we're in. If you're inclined to believe that Seattle is an anarchist hellhole that wants to abolish the police, you're going to have different ideas about what's happening and how to fix it than someone who believes the city cares more about protecting wealthy people and their interests than it does about taking care of its most vulnerable. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And as humans, we are inclined to lean towards one narrative. When Seattle set its homicide record in 94, the state also set a new high mark. Is that happening again? Is the state following Seattle? Uh, Yeah, actually. Last year, the state hit its all-time homicide record. That was last year. So there were almost four, I think it was 400 homicides statewide. That was just for 2022. The report for 2023, that's not going to be out till next summer. So we'll have to see. I've seen unofficial counts that put this, you know, this, this year's figure below last year's. I don't know whether we'll exceed last year's, but it's high. None of this looks great, you know? All right. Alongside all of these numbers, Kat, is a new city council. What have city officials been saying about the rise in homicides? And what are they going to do to try to make changes? I'm glad you brought that up because I did talk to the mayor's office about the homicides in Seattle. Obviously, they said they're extremely concerned. Very, you know, standard mayor's office answer. Yeah. But, you know, earlier in this chat, we mentioned low police staffing. The mayor says he's actively working to turn that around. He likes to talk about that a lot. That's one of his policy priorities. A bunch of the new city council members who just got elected want to tackle this very issue. Most of them have Mayor Harrell's endorsement. So it seems like, okay, if they're going to if they're going to make some big changes next year, the year after those are the years to do it. They want to beef up police staffing, but like we've talked about, that's not the only solution here. The city is also partnering with public health officials and community groups to try and look at other like holistic solutions as well. They're not treating this as like a single solution issue. Since most of the homicides are gun related, a lot of this work is going to be around gun violence prevention and interruption. And honestly, that's not something America has a very good track record with. And it's not something new in this city. Certainly not. Something new that Mayor Harrell does want to try is he really wants to pilot a gunshot detection technology, which is supposed to pinpoint where a gunshot occurs and thereby help officers who investigate gun crimes. ShotSpotter, very controversial. The famous brand is ShotSpotter. And, you know, the technology that ShotSpotter is built on that's used by other companies as well, it's controversial. Not everyone's a fan. And at least one city that's used this tech in the past says it didn't work all that well for them. Mm. Other cities have used it and they're happy with it. I don't know if Mayor Harrell will be able to get this done in the next year. Certainly something he likes to talk about. At the end of the day, the city has an uphill battle here. You know, the mayor's office told me Seattle police confiscated well over a 1,000 firearms between January and October of this year. And they say that is a record for the city. So you have record number of guns being taken in, but you also have record number of homicides at the same time. Something's not working. There are a lot of people who are trying to figure out solutions together, and it's probably going to take a combination of a lot of things, of everyone looking at all angles at the same time to get the right combination of solutions, and hopefully they figure something out. Yeah. One thing is for sure, Kat, the availability of guns is at the heart of this. Seems like it is. Yeah. Yeah. Kat Smith is an editor here at KUOW. Really appreciate your reporting. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.